to Center Ed Teaching, our weekly podcast where we've been trying to give you all the information that we can about CPET, the landscape of education currently, and maybe some things that you can find helpful for your school or classroom. Um, this week we're taking up the thing that everyone hates but has to talk about. That has to talk about it. You gotta and, go there. And that is testing season. And because testing season carries so much weight, I've got a full crew to help me out today. I've got Christina on my left. Hello. Brian sipping his coffee to my right. Hey, y'all. And Roberta making fun of me before recording this podcast right across from me. Me? <laughs> I would never. Yeah, making fun with you, man. <laughs> That's not Is that a thing? Just, just with you. Is that a thing? Sure. Well, you were here. <laughs> um, so moving forward and actually trying to get into some of the substance today, we want to start out by broadly talking about, like, what are the purposes of testing how do teachers um, handle testing as an idea and as an actual thing with their particular students? Um, working with administrators around this testing, um, working within the curriculum, whether that is one you have designed or one that has been prescribed, and then kind of like, what's the long game? How, how can you think about this in a broader sense to move forward? Because it does demand so much of your time. Um, so given that kind of agenda for the conversation, let's just get right into it with uh, what are some of the purposes of testing generally? The number one purpose for testing in general is accountability. How will we know if schools are doing a good job or if students are doing a good job if we're not assessing them? So we need to have an assessment that everyone takes that's exactly the same so that we can measure how the students are doing so that we can either pat ourselves on the back and say that we're doing well or we can... Not pat wow. ourselves. Not pat ourselves. Like, <laughs> what, what, what's the gesture there? <laughs> it's like a, you know, like a whipping sort of like, yeah, like, yeah, like, yeah. Chastise yourself. Slap on the wrist. Slap not on the pat wrist. Self flagellation. Oh, okay, that sounds. That sounds um, no, but so you can hold people quote, accountable for for performance. Uh, a lot of accountability is about making decision about making divisions between who's doing well and who isn't, um, and that accountability has changed and shifted over time. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the eighties and nineties, there was sort of very light accountability. There was there was the sort of dawn of standardized tests and statewide standardized tests um, that were somewhat aligned to standards, but a lot of the programs were, you know, opt-in to it or um, we're just testing to see how we're doing. Mm -hmm. Um, But over the last 20 years, we've seen a steady increase in accountability. In my research, I actually call the last 15 or 20 years the accountability era Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. um, because the accountability has just increased and increased and increased sort of like a big boulder rolling down a hill. It just keeps building and building and building. So much so that uh, now in New York, uh, teachers are uh, held accountable for their students' test scores. 50% of their rating is based on student test scores, either test scores from a local level or test scores from the state level. Mm -hmm. Depending on grade. Depending on their grade. Mm -hmm. Uh, And principals are held accountable for all of their students and all of their teachers' uh, all of their students' test scores and their teachers' account, like the teacher's rating goes towards the, the principal's rating. And all of the test scores for the key subject areas are publicized in uh, year le- year-end reports um, that are put on the DOE's uh, website and can be used by parents and outsiders for things like school choice and enrollment. 
uh, and to determine whether or not the school goes into additional accountability phases, mm -hmm. like being supervised by the city or supervised by the state or having curriculum come in. So there's a lot of accountability uh, for teachers and principals a, and a responsibility um, to the test first and foremost. Can I ask a clarifying question, Roberta, which is, uh, I just heard you say we need standardized tests for that. Do you count yourself among those we, or is that a people be saying we need standardized mm. tests for this purpose? Mm -hmm. I think people be saying. Okay. And also, I don't, I think that the the options for like what would it be if it wasn't testing right. is such uncharted water yeah. mm -hmm. that I don't, I also don't feel comfortable to gotcha. say, saying blow it up. All right. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. uh, I was actually, I was in a school just yesterday um, talking with a teacher who's teaching an AP class and the, um, the principal and the teacher were discussing sort of like the lesson, uh, a lesson plan debrief uh, of, of an observation. And the principal flat out and the teacher agreed, best teaching of her life. Best, like one of the best lessons it was, but it was the demand of the test and it echoed by the teacher and the principal was the demand of the test that was up this sort of applying the lever, the lever to, to do some of the best teaching she's gotcha. ever done. And, and, and so it, it's difficult for me to gotcha. land on that. And I've done a lot of studying on it. So I feel mm -hmm. somewhat uncomfortable not being able to say, trash them all. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think there's a lot of gray area here. And that's what a lot of this conversation is about. Um, I think one thing that also goes with this accountability measure is that if there's going to be a standardized test, then there seemingly is a standardized body of knowledge mm -hmm. that is then tested on. So this has some kind of shape in the curriculum that we see, whether that's at a district level or state level, um, in terms of that accountability measure. Mm -hmm. To maybe put a more positive things on there, because we already can see some of the criticisms coming up of testing, is that there is an idea that testing provides supports to students. Does anyone want to speak to how that can be used? Well, I don't know if it provides supports to students directly as much as it uh, potentially provides information to educators mm -hmm. who then can use that information to provide supports for students. So um, uh, no, well, I don't say no one, but very few people I think would disagree that assessment has no place in schooling and education. Um, we have to know how we're doing. We have to know if students are learning. Um, that said, um, is the best way to gather that information or is the best information we can gather done by a standardized test? I'm not sold on that. Um, but, um, you know, Roberta's clarification like speaks to the sort of like tricky nature of this. Um, if one school is collecting a certain data set and another school is collecting a different data set, then how do we know how those schools are doing mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. relative to each other, um, not to set up some sort of hierarchical relationship but uh, or competition, but to say, like, okay, well, we have two schools in this district. How are they both doing when measured against the same criteria? I, I just want to jump in to say that in my research, one of the things that I, I looked at was the beginning of testing in New York State, and there, there was a statement made in the 1800s um, where it was a, one of the chief financial personnel on the Board of Regents at that time, early, like 1808 or something like that. And, and I found a quote where he said um, that the, the Regents' exams were not created uh, as a mere, to, to reflect a mere educational theory, right? In, in essence, that they weren't created to actually measure learning. <laughs> mm -hmm. They were created because we needed to figure out what was a school. Mm -hmm. And we needed to determine 
what what schools we were going to give money to mm -hmm. and what schools weren't. And so we created this idea of a test. And if they signed up for the test, and based on how many booklets they requested and how many tests they administered, that dictated their funding. And so I think like at the very beginning of testing in, in New York State, which is one of the, the, test, the states that's actually had statewide testing the longest mm -hmm. in the history of the United mm -hmm. States, we have this sort of like complicated beginning that, that even at that time in the inception of it, we were not sort of altruist, altruistically or purely assessing the, the educational merit. In fact, the educational merit of the assessment was an afterthought. Mm -hmm. It was for pragmatics. It was for sorting, for divisions, for finances, and later for accountability. Yeah, and I think that gets into the next point because some of the stuff when you're talking about accountability measures or supporting students, right, implies that this assessment or this testing has benefits, but there are also tests that kids are um, supposed to take that are actually meant to stratify, yes. whether that's a college admissions exam or maybe some kind of assessment that's done for a college scholarship where the actual intention is not necessarily to report back data to the teacher or student that they can then unpack and reteach students, but actually to say, where in this distribution do you fall? Um, and oh, go I ahead. was going to say, I jump in there too, that in my research, when I looked at sort of um, some of the motivation behind the development of standards, right, a national set of standards, um, which were then, of course, directly linked to the tests, a lot of the motivation, and I think some of the intended um, consequences were that you had such disparity among states, right? Mm -hmm. So that if you had a student who was educated in Massachusetts, you had a kid that was educated in Iowa and New York, that there was this strong disparity between mm -hmm. that and there was an intention to try and say, well, we want to make sure that every kid is getting access to a great education, right? Much like the SAT might say mm -hmm. that colleges need to have some kind of uniformity around, I know what kind of a student I'm getting from California, mm -hmm. I know what kind of student I'm getting from New York. Um, and so I think that was a lot of um, mm -hmm. the motivation. Obviously, the implementation of that led to some unintended consequences, but I think also, um, going back to just the curriculum conversation for a minute, I think that there was a push for a common language, too, mm -hmm. that yeah. teachers could say across mm -hmm. states or across grade levels, like, mm -hmm. these are the, the sort of attributes or the, the standards or the, the major skills that we want students to be able to have when they leave whether grade three or they leave high school if i could ask another clarifying question yeah. i just heard you say colleges need to know that the kid they're getting from iowa meets the same standards as the kid they're getting from massachusetts mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and i wonder do you mean need or do you mean want because i can imagine colleges would want that but i'm not sure that they need that well i think yeah it's a, it's a, it's a very real tension right but i think too and i and i and i put myself in that I put myself in that tension right but because I think that yes I would say want but I think need because when you have a certain number of applicants mm -hmm. trying to apply to a college and you need to start to make some distinctions between who's getting into this college who's not getting into this college who's getting these awards who's not getting these awards like we need to have some kind of system or or process or practice that helps us make these determinations, um, it, yeah, it becomes difficult because yeah. how, to, to Roberta's point, like, it's sort of be very uncharted waters to be able to say, like, we're going to change this system. Go ahead. Well, in New York, 
at the beginning of the Regents, it used to be the high school. It used to be the the end of high school and the beginning of college. That that if a kid passed the Regents, they were automatically admitted into any right. state university, New York mm-hmm. school, and SUNY schools, particularly Cornell, began saying. Who are all these kids we're getting? They can't read or write. Right. We need to have our own set of tests. And that actually was the beginning of college, like individual college entrance exams. And so this tension between is the end of high school synonymous with the beginning of college? And how do we know? And who gets to decide? Mm-hmm. It, and I think that that's the tension that you're talking about. Mm-hmm. And the question is, well, do they need it or do they want it? Does anybody, you know, we need food and shelter. <laughs> Everything else is probably a one. And also... They said there these are major constructs that have been set up and that we're functioning in as if they were the as if they were natural as if they they are absolutely needs and the degree that we have as a, an educational community to question well do we need it do we have to have it do we have to measure mm-hmm. I th- and I think when we and start who? to question that um, that doxa when we start to question these sort of like automatic beliefs that we have. Um, you start to realize, like, well, if we don't, where don't are we? Mm-hmm. And it's sort of like a portal into another universe. Like, mm-hmm. we, ha- we are in completely uncharted territory if we begin to question some of those um, basic assumptions. But I think if I understand what Brian was saying correctly, it's this idea that the college wants them because colleges want to stratify. Mm-hmm. And so thereby not needing yeah. that test. And so I think saying it's uncharted waters to an extent is is true, but also the idea that like it's not. It's that there is this idea in American society of exclusivity and selectivity. So is there a way that there is this testing that's done that is about that comes from this idea of stratification without having that stratification? I know Roberta, you and I were talking earlier about ideas like AP for all. Can you maybe explain more about like how that works? Well, it's a, it's a, it, it's the irony, right? Um, AP is the advanced placement. I took AP English when I was in high school. My teacher told me, don't take this class if you want it for college credit because you probably won't get it because I was not good enough to be in the mm-hmm. class. I was mm-hmm. not in the, I was not on the honors track. It was an elitist group it always. Was, it, yes. was, it was. It was. <laughs> and and she said, here's the irony, right? I loved her. I'm just going to put that out there. I loved you, Scarlett Horn. Um, <laughs> I did. I, just, I, I can't find her anywhere. Yeah. But um, I, I loved her, uh, and and but she did. She she took me out of the out into the hallway, and she said, you know, it was back in the day where you signed up for classes by like writing on a piece of paper, and you had to get the teachers to initial right next to the classes that you selected if if you were gonna get into a special class. And I and I put it down on my schedule that I wanted to take. She took me out in the hallway, and she said. Um, I'll sign your paper, but only if you're taking this because you want to learn about literature, because I don't think you'll pass the test. <laughs> so yeah. only take it if you want to learn. Mm. Isn't that, uh, I, so um, I did want to learn, and so I took it. I did <laughs> pass the test uh, with a lot of help. Um, but the point there is that it, it was designed to give an option for students who were at or above grade level who wanted to take college courses or be, uh, earn college credit in high school, advanced placement. It has advanced in the word. So it is not the, the standard for mm-hmm. all students. But within um, recent years, um, there's been a movement called AP for All. And I believe that the movement is comes from a good place, that we want all students to have the opportunity to take co- college courses in high school. We want all students to be able to acquire college uh, credits in high school, and we shouldn't be limiting any students, and we should try to eliminate the elitist track here. 
Um, but the AP for All movement is this idea that all kids should be able to do advanced. Um, and so then all students... Or have access these, to or advanced. Ha- have right. access to it. But I think that in part of the programming, it's that, no, as many kids as possible should be programmed into the AP courses. Oh, I see what you're saying. And should mm-hmm. be taking them. Um, and it's sort of like, you know, uh, 90% of the people in the town are good are, are better than average drivers. <laughs> Right? Like it doesn't, it, it doesn't sit well. I, I think with me, with the idea that everybody should be able to, to to be above average or to to. I don't think I'm being very articulate about it, um, but it, it puts a pressure on on people to to do something that is above the expectation, and then it, it expects that everybody should be able to do it. Well, I think if I can try to paraphrase and summarize what you're saying is that there's this intention or there's like this tension of. There is, like, the system that stratifies. But the problem with that is we don't want there to be stratification, so mm-hmm. there's trying to move everyone up, so there isn't That's that. Right. But then there, I mean, there's going to be another measure. Well, it's also, I mean, it's one metric, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I feel like the, there's this, I think that to me is ultimately what it comes down to, is that the criteria for, if we go back to the younger kids, because that's where I taught, right, um, that this was the end-all, be-all of whether or not they moved to the next grade, Mm -hmm. period. Mm. So it didn't matter what I taught as a teacher, Mm -hmm. it didn't matter what I thought as a teacher, that Mm -hmm. this was it. Um, And that, I think, is very problematic for me. Same with SATs, right? If the only metric that colleges are looking at is how well they scored on their SATs, I would have a major issue with that as well. Me, myself, personally, because I was a very hardworking, um, got good grades, took all the right classes, could not get my SAT scores to where I wanted them to be or on par with my peers. Mm-hmm. And I was very concerned about the implications of that for the schools that I wanted mm-hmm. to get into. Fortunately, the time that I went to school, they were looking at a more robust sort of picture or profile right, of a student. They were looking at your letters of recommendation. They were looking at your essay. They were looking at your grades. They were looking at your SATs. And so I was fortunate enough to get into my top choice school because all those other things on my sort of quote-unquote resume um, were considered. Now, how exactly that process happened, I'm not 100% sure, but I think that to me is where I would raise a, a really big red flag that... And I think it goes back to what Brian was saying, is that, like, this idea of testing. There is a place for testing. There mm-hmm. is a place for us to say, like, hey, here's how I compared on my SATs to other students who might be applying to the same school, but that should not be the determining factor of who I am or what I can contribute to the school. And I think that leads into the meat of this conversation. So given that there is this high stakes in the testing and that, how as a teacher, then, do you communicate this for your students? Um, I mean... In one sense, does the frame that you provide differ if it's based on a regents test or an SAT test or, or, or a different grade level? I mean, what is the way that you go about communicating with students around this? I think one way that teachers communicate about students is, is actually dependent upon whether or not the course serves the test or the test serves the course. Mm-hmm. Right. So if you look at something like uh, high school regents exams in New York State, where at the end of the court, the course is designed around the the content that's on the test mm-hmm. or you look at the AP exam for example which the AP exam in and of itself the, the course is designed mm-hmm. to as a as a study as a preparation for the test that that without the test there is no course mm-hmm. right and I think that when your course is designed to serve the test the way that you 
communicate with your students about the test is very different than when the test is an outgrowth of the course. Does that make sense? Yeah, 100%. Um, and, and so I think that what, what teachers often feel, especially if, I mean, AP and the SATs are all things that are sort of like, oh, if you can, great, mm-hmm. um, with, some, with some movement towards like most people should. Um, but when the test is a requirement for students to go on from one grade to another, mm-hmm. when the test is a requirement for graduation, um, then and when the test when your student performance on the test is part of my rating as a teacher yeah. or part of my rating as a principal mm-hmm. uh, or part of our public profile as a school, then the the level of pressure that you're going to feel is going to skyrocket. And how you frame it, going back to And your how question. you frame it yeah. to your students then um, is, is going to be, I think, much different than if it was like, yeah, well, we're all just going to try our best because this is just showing us where we are in our process of mm-hmm. learning. Right. right, like those which are two was, very different vibes. Which was how it was in California, let me tell you. Yeah. Like, we were like, oh, by the way, take out your pencils, you're going to be doing this, you know, bubble mm-hmm. sheet, and it made no difference. Mm-hmm. Um, it was like the Golden State exam or something like that, and we took it once a year, and it meant nothing, and nobody even knew that it was coming. We were just told one day we were taking a test. Yeah, I think a, another dimension of that is there's the frame on the front end and the back end, mm-hmm. because I remember... Uh, Florida was also very into testing and it was very experimental when I was going through the school system and so at the beginning the frame it sounds like similar to what you're talking about in California like hey you know just do your best this mm-hmm. doesn't mean anything and then the scores would come back and they'd say okay we're going to look at the percentiles mm-hmm. if you're in the 90th percentile that means you did 90 percent mm-hmm. better or better than 90 percent of those who took it mm-hmm. if you're in the 50th percentile that means you were about average if you did in the 30th percentile you're only doing better than 30% of those who took the test. And I don't think the teachers necessarily had any ill intentions but framing that way, but there becomes this rating of your mm-hmm. intelligence based mm-hmm. on this yes. comparative test that, especially at that time, yeah. was in a was collecting and norming data in some ways mm-hmm. um, that was problematic. So I think maybe one way about this frame is, like, what is the consistency before and after the test? And when it's related to, is this a test that because you've taken AP, you're taking this test, and if you get college credit, great. If not, you're mm-hmm. going to have learned along the way. Mm-hmm. Or, like, you know, this is a test that you need to go to the next grade level. So, like, we're going to be honest about this. I mean, I don't know. I'm, I'm kind of rambling. Yeah. No, I, yeah. Well, I want to emphasize that the teachers really have a lot of power in this space to determine how do I want to frame this for my kids. And being able to be reflective to see that how they frame it for their students is actually very impactful for how their students see the purpose of the course. Mm. So for example, if I see the test as an endpoint, and if I see passing the test with a 65 as an endpoint of my course, and I frame that to my students as in, um, you have to learn this because it's on the test, but you only have to do this much so that you can pass, Mm -hmm. then what we're doing is we're setting the goal for learning, the target for learning, is getting a 65 on the test. And that, in particular, may be valuable in compliance in terms of mm-hmm. getting students to be quiet and listen and maybe take these notes down. Or to but, meet the sort of standards or, or of the school. Or to the meet the expectations of the school. Of the school. Mm-hmm. But it isn't particularly beneficial in um, helping students to become lifelong learners or to actually engage deeply in the curriculum or to make connections from the content into um, sort of deeper learning that they're making in the rest of their lives. So we're not seeing this content as valuable in my life mm-hmm. if the end point is to um, barely pass the, the, the test at the end. 
and teachers are able to frame it as, um, you know, this is important because it's connected to these careers or because mm-hmm. it's, imp- it's connected to these um, societal ideals or it's because it's connected to, like, how you're engaging in the world. And, and there's an exam over here that's, that, that you're gonna, that's gonna demonstrate how, how well you're able to articulate yourself on these things. Like those are two very, very different perspectives mm-hmm. and create very different mm-hmm. um, uh, cultures in the classroom. Yeah, and so I think that really kind of elucidates maybe problematic ways to frame it and other ways to think about it. Brian, mm-hmm. I know you and I have had previous conversations. Weigh in. <laughs> um, well, when I, I back when I was um, had back when I was teaching um, and I had kids who were taking standardized tests, um, I liked to um, frame it uh, in terms of a game that was to be played. Um, uh, just uh, the idea is that. Um, navigating and, and working your way through a school uh, system or years of prescribed schooling um, involves rules. And so we need to know those rules so we can play the game and we can win the game. And the game is actually separate from learning, right? That there is, um, in school, our you know big objectives are to come away with more more, more knowledge and, more, and better skills or more finely honed skills. Um, that's not necessarily what the test is aligned to Mm -hmm. um however we do need to do this test because some person in authority above us has deemed it necessary so ours is not to reason why ours but to do and die on this here test Mm -hmm. so let's go out and do it and hopefully not die um can i ask you a quick follow-up question come at me bro (laughs) so in terms of framing this as a game did that mean that there was there were specific practices that were tailored to the conventions of the game. So I'm thinking, like, were there test days? Were there test prep after mm. school? Like, yeah. on a practical level, how did you live out that kind of frame? Yeah, absolutely. So um, uh, one of the, th- for example, one of the test-taking skills that um, uh, I would work on with students was just time management. Um, how do you I mean, stay aware of time and then pace yourself accordingly so that you don't run out and you use your mm-hmm. time well and all that sort of stuff. And I said that time, like limit, a time limit is one of the rules of the game. So let's be very, very aware of that. And what does it feel like to have a prescribed amount of work to do within a prescribed amount of time? And let's pace ourselves. I, I, I had the stopwatch out. I put us on the clock. Mm-hmm. How long does it take us to do one multiple choice, three multiple choice, five multiple choice? Are we on the pace we need to be? And I would talk to them in like kind of like sports coaching terms. Mm-hmm. Like it's like, you know, we got to get our, our splits down. We got to get our mm-hmm. time down um, because we're a lap behind the pace we need to be on. To and it was just all this sort of ideas. Like that's the mm-hmm. that's a fact of the test. So let's you know it's the old uh, I think it's. Uh, I don't know, it's an old coaching quote of the practice makes perfect, except mm-hmm. that's not the actual quote. The actual quote is Lombardi, right? Perfect practice makes perfect, mm-hmm. right? And so we tried to practice under test conditions in order to make sure we were ready to do this thing that someone was making us do. Mm-hmm. And so one more practical follow-up mm-hmm. to that as well. So were these spaced out over the course of the year? It was like, you know what, I'm teaching my class to really get this content, and then two weeks before, mm-hmm. we're going to spend time on these conventions. Because if I'm a teacher listening to this, and I'm thinking, God, I want to get through testing season, what can I do this and main- do it in a way that maintains my sanity? Yeah, I, I spaced it out over a run of a year, um, okay. and um, kind of came back around to this idea over and over again. Because, I mean, what can you learn in a two-week 
cram session, essentially, right? Like, you're not going to learn how to play an entire game or an mm-hmm. entire sport in one go. I think I, I one time coached middle school softball in Istanbul, Turkey. <laughs> and on my team, I had one kid who was American and two kids who were Japanese. And those were the only three who had ever even worn a baseball glove before. So when I was coaching them, I had, if I said things like, you're on deck or don't lead off the student or don't take a lead, my Turkish students or my German students or my whatever, they would, what are we, they didn't even speak the language. Mm-hmm. And I didn't have, in, in six weeks, I couldn't even give them the entire language they needed in order to learn the game, rules of the game. So rather, a year-long sort of slowly steeping them in the culture and the language of softball might then prepare me to do some cramming later. Mm-hmm. But a two-week cram session immediately pre-test is, I don't know how effective that is. Mm-hmm. Um, so I tried to mm-hmm. spread it out over the run of a year. I think two things for me that really come out of your stories, one of them is that in order to consider the ways in which the test may be distant from your student's experience, you had to yourself know and understand it. Mm -hmm. And I think that's really an important feature for for teachers to recognize that it's not just knowing like when it is or even... um, what general standards are on it, but really, like, how is the test designed? How is it structured? Mm-hmm. How is it scored? In what places are there language? Um, and we sometimes talk about, like, the test as text mm-hmm. and recognizing that mm-hmm. it, it is a whole different kind of text on its own, and it's one that we need to learn how to read. Yeah. I'm just like I wouldn't pick up a manual about, like, fixing cars and think that, like, by reading it one time, I would be able to fix a car. That's mm-hmm. a genre that I need to be able to learn how to do. I need to learn the vocabulary. I need to learn the structure Mm -hmm. that you can't to your point do it Mm -hmm. but that means but in order to teach it as a teacher I need to know and understand it pretty deeply myself yeah I think that's how um I always framed the test in my classroom was that it was a genre in Mm -hmm. which like poetry like informational like narrative that it was a genre that we needed to study and understand well um to look at examples to delve into to push back to question um and I think it was really interesting because when I was in the classroom, when I first started in the classroom, the tests were <laughs> like right after Christmas break, which mm-hmm. we as teachers, especially third grade teachers, because they were coming to us from second grade, which was a non-testing grade, um, and then they were being tested basically after only like September was sort of a wash, October, November, December, mm-hmm. three months of our teaching. And especially when accountability measures started coming into play, we were like, this isn't a reflection of me. Mm-hmm. I've only had them for three months. This is a reflection of their second grade teacher, right? Mm-hmm. So where the test fell in terms of the year and in terms of our curriculum for the year um, was particularly challenging. And then when they, they eventually moved the test back um, to now like late April and May, it was more like, okay, this is a little bit more realistic in terms of, of my um, impact or my influence over my students. Um, but I think that a con to that shift was that you now are more likely to build your year Mm. around that test because Mm. it fell at the end of the year. Mm -hmm. Whereas when it was in more in January, it was like, okay, the test is over. Now we can really teach what we want to teach. Right. Mm. Um, so I think that thinking about it in terms of a genre was helpful for us because it fit into the rest of the way that my course was, or that my curriculum was um, planned. And, and just one other sort of like framework for how to think about like testing versus not testing and, you know, sort of in like the connection to lived experience. 
um, we talked about test as a genre, we talked yeah. about test as a game, the language of code switching I found to be yeah. very useful as well. And I use that language with my students because we talked about code switching just in terms of like the language we used in the classroom and the way we dressed in the classroom and saying switching your code switching isn't uh, giving up your authentic self, it's shifting navigating. into a, yeah, mm-hmm. it's navigating through the various, um, uh, you know, communities and challenges and whatever that you're, that you're dealing with. And code switching into test mode mm-hmm. um, was just another, another one skill. of those. Yeah, yeah, it was another one of those switches that I was trying to teach students were, were as, a, as a skill that they could have to yeah. just pop into that mode for the allotted time mm-hmm. to accomplish the, the, the allotted task. I think that these are all really important strategies and framings for teachers who are working with students who are on or around grade level. There's a whole other sphere of challenges for teachers who are working with students who are taking, quote, grade level assessments when they're working with a body of students who are not, quote, at that grade level. Um, In working with some struggling schools a few years ago, I created a framework that I called A++, because it had three A's. Um, And my theory there uh, is that students need, first, they need access, that when the test locks them out, through literacy or through style or structure or whatever, um, if I don't understand the quote that I'm supposed to interpret or if I don't understand the way that the, um, the way that the test is structured, I can't, even if I had all the knowledge, I could not demonstrate it because I don't have access to the exam itself. So access um, with literacy skills or num- basic numeracy skills or understanding um, the structure and design of the exam, the purpose of the exam. Um, secondly, they needed agency. I need to want to do it. And if I'm building my test prep unit or my year around do this so that you can pass, and if you don't pass, you're a failure, mm-hmm. it's not likely that we're going to be building a lot of like agency and inspiration and motivation. So things like gamifying projects, um, like fun ways to interact with information or interact with each other during the course um, and really creating a sense of like purpose and motivation and even inspiration helping students to gain agency in like I can I want to do this I can do this if I do it I will get something from it um, is a key factor and the third factor was authority that the test um, especially these um, extended exams where you're taking them for three hours or more. Um, If you're a special needs student or um, have uh, English as a second language, some of your modifications say that you can have time and a half or double time and a half. So kids, well, that sounds really nice and I'm very glad they get extra time. That means sometimes that you're taking a single test for five or six hours straight. Well, the younger tests are not, three through eight are no longer timed. They're no longer timed for that reason. Any kid could be sitting for that long. Could be sitting for that long. But, but that is actually an exam of persistence. Mm-hmm. It is an exam of endurance. Um, and in order to endure what many people feel like is torture, um, then they need to be able to have a sense of authority and power over it. And I think that's one of the reasons why I really resonate with the gamifying Game. mm-hmm. and, and sort of like looking at it as in here is acknowledging what it is, which is a construct, and a construct that even as a child you can see and you can can take it apart um and that's about having some of that um having some of that background knowledge to do that Mm -hmm. um so yeah i think one thing that you brought up that hadn't been said yet is right implicitly when teachers hear testing there's kind of a shudder or a push away because it does put so much pressure and i what one of the things that i hear you saying roberta i think is really helpful 
is that like yes that's true but you can't present that to students Mm -hmm. because if it's just like oh we have to do this just because or like you have to do this to pass it doesn't create that authority or like that engagement that is necessary to help the class learn so it's almost of a reframing it for yourself yeah then you can reframe it for the kids And, and speaking about kids I mean, is there a discussion that you have with students around their identity related to testing? I had mentioned earlier um, about when I was in, you know, school in Florida and then the test came out and those percentile scores were connected to identity and there wasn't really a conversation about that. Is that a conversation teachers should have? If so, how so? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I I tried to have it, especially with my younger kids, because it was a very... And, and I, I'm sure it is at the high school level as well, but I'm, I'm just speaking from my own experiences that um, they all knew about the tests. They were very aware of the implications and more than passing the tests um, for their own sort of sense of fulfillment or their own sense of like gratification. It was, I don't want to be held back when all my friends are going forward or I don't want to have to come in summer school. So I, I really tried to be very sensitive to that and help them understand that this does not define you. Mm-hmm. This does not determine whether you're smart or not. This does not determine whether or not you're as good as your friend or whatever. Um, and really push back a lot on what sort of inevitably but problematically happens at schools when we start to number kids, mm-hmm. right? Like, what are you doing for your twos? Mm-hmm. Oh, he's a two. Oh, he's mm-hmm. a one. Oh, he's a four. Um, and at one point, I think my principal, which um, I think, again, was going back to this accountability measure, like they wanted to see how we were um, addressing the needs of different groups of students. And we, they were now labeled like tier one, tier two, tier three, tier four. And they wanted that up in the classroom so that when people, when the superintendent or whomever came to visit the school, they could see, oh, everybody has a common language, a common goal. And I really pushed back to say, I'm not putting that up in my classroom. Yeah. Like that is just a terrible idea and it and the students already know who gets pulled out they see the teacher come in and they see say brian roberta matt you're coming with me they already have a very strong sense of this sort of um the stigmas and the labels that go into testing um so that i was very protective of no we're we're not doing that um but i also want to admit that there were times when i would get really frustrated because a student wasn't paying attention or they just weren't, they weren't getting or they didn't want to get it. And I would often say like, you're not going to pass your test. You know what that means? Do you know what that means? Um, and so I think that it's, it's also natural to accept that those things are going to happen too. Mm-hmm. Um, and to not like beat yourself up about it or, or feel terrible if you might not, um, have communicated it with a student in the way that you really wanted to, that the test is real and everybody feels the pressure Um, but that the more that you can, um, create a culture in your room that acknowledges that and finds ways to push back against that, I think will serve everybody, everybody well. Yeah. I want to build on that to say that the, that the number has a lot of power. We, Mm -hmm. we, we have given it a lot of power and kids take that on and it's very difficult once you've failed, quote, failed something to get really excited about doing it again. Yeah. Right. Um, and when it is a gatekeeper to basic citizenship, you know, um, what kind of uh, citizenship can you have if you don't graduate from high school in, in America today? Um, how can you participate fully when you can only get a job at maybe at McDonald's, you know, at, at fast food or 
So what and that's so what we want to be able to do is to create opportunities for students to be able to see like I can pass, um, but when all they see is that I'm I'm failing and I and what's going to be different this time, um, that it becomes something that 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 is connected to their identity. Mm-hmm. And if we don't address that directly with them, uh, I think it's a it's a true disservice uh, to them. And when we accept it, then it's. Um, then I think we're complicit yeah, in saying complicit. in saying to them, yeah, you're right. I don't think you can fail. I, I don't think that you can pass. When we don't demand um, that they, in a supportive rise, way, yeah. that they rise, mm-hmm. that they get support, that they get help. When we don't create spaces and when we don't create structures to really support the students to meet those uh, goals, um, then I think it's us saying, like, yeah, I didn't think you could do it either, uh, and 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 that's really troubling. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, I, I actually had a conversation with a, a high school senior uh, a month ago. Um, we were talking about um, their that they didn't pass the U.S. History Regents exam, and they said, "Oh, that you know, I'm I'm just I'm not smart." Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I I actually walked it back to the language of so what um, mm-hmm. now what you know and no, what so what now what and said like, "Oh, okay, so you're you're saying that that you based on your performance on this day and this happened like I don't know that that's true." Um, I don't even know that it's true that you didn't memorize the facts or can't memorize the facts. Mm-hmm. All I know is on that day when you sat in that chair, you didn't bubble enough bubbles to pass this certain threshold mm-hmm. on a number. That's all the evidence I have. It doesn't mean anything necessarily. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All it means, like try to keep it at a descriptive place rather than a normative place, the, the conversation, because so quickly we'll say, oh, there's a number that means a thing. Yeah. Instead, let's look at the number, or if we can even, let's walk it back and look at the questions. Let's look at the thing. Mm-hmm. I, I want to build on that because, it, one, it, practically for teachers and, and school leaders out there, um, there are a lot of ways that we can do to engage students, to re-engage them in this process. Um, it doesn't typically look like, let me put everybody who failed on the list and say, sign up again. Um, it, it does take a little bit of legwork. It takes personal conversations. Mm-hmm. What happened? Mm-hmm. How were you doing on the day of the test? What did it feel like? What part stumped you? It takes finding the testing coordinator and going into the box of last year's exams and finding the kid in alphabetical order, pulling their test out and looking to see why did they get the score that they got? What parts were they mm-hmm. missing? Mm-hmm. Um, that's sort of flipping the script and taking a summative assessment and turning it into a formative learning opportunity. How can I take this end of course test and actually learn from it to help prepare the student to um, build those skills and knowledge in the future. And then it often takes a targeted plan of support. Mm -hmm. So if you're missing XYZ content or if you're missing XYZ skills, how am I going to make sure that you acquire those things in the space that we have between now and next year's exam so that you can go into the next testing administration and and, and feel a different way, have that agency and authority over the exam in that space. Well, I think that that also speaks to the culture um, that we can ideally start to create in the schools, right? So that, I mean, it's, I'm just getting ding, ding, ding of like vertical alignment, right? Because if we're, and I think it also raises the question, um, and I'd love to be able to have some conversations with the test makers, but what is the purpose of the exam? Is it to measure mastery or is it to give us information as teachers to determine what are we teaching? How are we teaching it? What do we need to teach better? Um, but I think that going, going back to this idea that it takes a village, right? Like it's, it takes the whole school, um, to participate in creating a culture through which we could say, all right, let's look at this exams. The third grade teachers, let's look at how their third graders did to determine what we might need to change for next year. 
um, because it's towards the end of the year and then they're going to get a new batch of students. But also having the fourth grade teachers look at the third grade exams and say like, oh, okay, what might I need to now reinforce or to extend or to reimagine in my fourth grade so that we are moving kids um, in, in the right direction holistically, right? Beyond just oh, they passed whatever was in third grade, whatever was on the standards for third grade, and now we're moving into fourth grade, and that there's these, like, silos, mm-hmm. right, that are disjointed and feel yeah. um, almost, in a sense, conflicting, yeah. right, which I've seen before, too. And so it's getting everybody on board around, okay, what is our goal? What is our mission? How do we want to use these exams as a tool, as another mm-hmm. um, assessment um, to drive our instruction and not to dictate how well we taught or how smart our students are? Um, and having those open um, lines of communication between administration and teachers and out-of-classroom teachers and, and everybody um, who's involved in, in moving students forward. Yeah, I think I just want to say one thing and, and move on to the next thing is I think, you know, there's so much educational research that makes things complex, but sometimes I do feel these things can be reduced to simple things. And we talked about having conversations with students where their identity is not based on this test. Mm-hmm. But what can be really helpful is if you actually know who your students are Mm -hmm. and you can say like, hey, like, you know, I know how much you love to draw. I know like that you make cartoons and like those cartoons are awesome. I know that like you play soccer and that like being a goalie is your favorite thing in the world. Like that's part of your identity. But if there's not that relationship and that Mm -hmm. open conversation with the students, when you say to a student, this isn't your identity, but then there is nothing else that you identify with them. That's part of the problem. Um, moving back to the teachers for a second. So I guess something that I think was always a constant tension for me and I think is for teachers still is how do you like prepare students for this test when you have other educational aspirations and or demands? Aspirations that you want to teach students how to think in critical ways that don't manifest themselves on a standardized test mm-hmm. or like you know that you need the time to do this but you have other demands such as your grade level team meetings or your department meetings that you need to go to and handle those particular logistical issues where you can't necessarily spend other time looking at and doing this and so how is a teacher like what is a systematic way to process that and to handle that I think one of the ways is to do some crosswalks between like what are my aspirations and what's mm-hmm. what and how does that overlap with the demands of the exam, um, and I think oftentimes we we allow sort of like you allow the pressure to get to you and then you def- you kind of push yourself into default mode. Um, There's a quote I saw a while ago that said multiple choice testing leads to multiple choice teaching, and. It's um, in my research. It was it was not the teaching that teachers wanted to do. It was uh, not the their primary mode. It was not their preference, and it was not their belief system. And yet they did it because it, it just ends up being the sort of default. Um, that I think we really need to rely on like really believing in your principles of practice, really rooting yourselves in those, and 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 then that's not to say you ignore the exam or you ignore the demands of it, but rather that you don't allow the demands of the exam to force you to give up the things you really believe in. And so the first step to doing that would be to do an overlap. Mm-hmm. What am I valuing and what am I aspiring to that is all that is that is in agreement with what's on the exam and what is not. And that might help me to prioritize. Um, and I think the second thing would always be about 
how am I engaging my students through projects maybe or through mm-hmm. writing or through journaling or through how, how am I pulling those um, how, how am I able to execute um, within my aspirations and then uh, I think as Brian has illustrated to carving out moments to say oh look this is also on the exam mm-hmm. in these ways oh here's how we're going to practice this so then it's about creating links a lot of people say well if you're teaching if you're teaching all the right stuff then yeah. the kids will just do well on the exam no matter what. I, I, I think, eh, maybe, but we still recognize that the test itself is a, is a genre that is is not always accessible to students. Um, but if we're being mindful of that and also mindful of our aspirations and just finding out, like, where are the places where our goals align uh, and leveraging some of those things is a, is a first place to start. Yeah, and I think also what picking up on what Roberta said about project-based learning, um, uh, Especially looking at tests that require students to have um, quanta of, inter- of information immediately recallable, you know, mm-hmm. facts memorized, mm-hmm. let's mm-hmm. say. Um, how are you going to make those facts or that content sticky for students mm-hmm. so that they can recall it later out of context right. and in this weird situation on this strange document or strange text? Um, I continue to push for uh, project-based learning makes the content stickier for students because they engage with it in rich and interesting ways. Everything from um, a history test where they have to know, you know, something about the Gadsden Purchase. Well, if they've made a map of railroad Mm -hmm. development Mm -hmm. in in, in the, uh, the Americas in the early 19th century, potentially they'll remember, oh, there was that thing that was read on my map, so they've mm-hmm. had that experience. Um, additionally, like if they have to be able to have recall of a particular work of literature, if they've made an original piece of performance art right. based on mm-hmm. that challenging piece of literature, they'll have to Let have unbound done... plague! There you go. <laughs> they'll have to have done some heavy lifting um, of and deep dive into the novel in order to be able to pull off that project, so that will be sticky for them later. Yeah. Um, As opposed to, don't you remember the day that we took notes off the PowerPoint? Yeah, exactly right. So I think that um, uh, project-based learning and good teaching, as people kind of broadly define it, for the listener, I put air quotes around that, um, but we hear this from our teachers all the time. Teaching to the test is not good teaching, but good teaching can help students perform on the test Mm -hmm. depending on, you know, sort of like what that test is asking students to do. Yeah. Um, I think also one thought that I have too is like this idea of teaching to, teaching within, and then teaching beyond, Mm -hmm. right? And so if we can try and keep the perspective of teaching beyond the test that ideally um, we're preparing our students for the test, but even beyond the test. Mm-hmm. And so I think that there's a metaphor I use a lot when when we are, when I'm trying to help teachers with curriculum mapping, and we kind of tease out the metaphor of like, what is your end destination? Where do you really want to get to by the end of the year? Um, and a lot of times you'll see like, pass the regents exams or pass the state exam. Um, and so I'm wondering this, this idea of like moving that destination somewhere earlier in the journey then what would happen, right? Like what would happen to their journey, right? Mm -hmm. How would it change? Or even asking the question of like, if tests were off the table, Mm -hmm. right? If the test was gone, what would you teach? Why would you teach that? And there might naturally be some overlap, right? Because I do think that um, even just some of the texts that I've seen more recently on some of the exams are moving us in in, in a right direction. But it's, again, those multiple choice questions and, like, how we're being asked to engage with that text that I think can be a little bit more problematic or is a little bit more problematic. But kind of trying to ask those questions and trouble our own thinking. Like, 
how much control does this test have over you? And if we were to take that away for a minute, what would you teach? Okay, now let's incorporate that back in and negotiate it mm-hmm. and fit it all in so that yeah. yep. we recognize this is a checkpoint, mm-hmm. but it yes. shouldn't be, it shouldn't determine our entire point. destination. Yep. Yeah, and I think trying to meld everything that you guys have said in just this portion with the earlier portion mm-hmm. for um, thinking about whether it's gamifying what's going on or how you're framing it for students, the way that those can really be melded is that it can be project-based learning mm-hmm. with this intensive focus of going beyond the test, but once a week mm-hmm. there's a multiple-choice assessment and you talk about navigating the time on that um, or working through the nuances of that throughout the year so that you're really hitting home. Mm-hmm. on both those things. Um, I know we're getting low on time, so we should move to, <laughs> to final thoughts here. Mm-hmm. And there was so much we didn't cover, how to talk with administrators when there's pressure on these tests. Hearing a part uh, two. <laughs> yeah. Um, so if we can just do a quick rip, whip around for maybe final thoughts that people would like to leave the listeners with. I have one. It's uh, something we haven't surfaced. I think it's super important. It's dealing with test anxiety and stereotype yes. threat. Yes. Mm. Um, and, you know, there's a very, very real and different experience of taking a test um, uh, when historic, you're from a historically marginalized community. Yes. yes. Um, so um, it would be an interesting sort of line of inquiry for part mm-hmm. two. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think for me, um, it's easy to sit up in an ivory tower and debate, oh, should we have tests or not have tests? But the reality of it is there are real teachers and real kids, mm-hmm. and that's not a question that they get to ask. Mm-hmm. There are tests, and they have to take them, and, and the kids have to pass them. Mm-hmm. And that is a that is a hard reality. And, and I just send, like, love and encouragement and support to teachers who are facing that every day. Um, and I'll just a... a, a, a an encouragement that there is a way to do that where you don't have to sell your soul mm-hmm. to, to, to the regents exam or to the state exam or to the park exam or whatever. Um, and that it's hard. It's really, really hard. Um, but that there, there are ways to do it. Yeah. And I think for me, like, as I'm considering the, the testing season upon us, um, that I would just encourage teachers as much as they can to find the space, even to just have conversations like we are right here, right mm-hmm. now. Um, with other teachers and to establish a sense of camaraderie um, and that, you know, recognizing this as just one thing um, that they need to do Mm -hmm. in the year and that it doesn't determine them, it doesn't um, determine their students, and the more that they can kind of find moments or breathing spaces to pause and and process that and remember that, um, I think will will be really advantageous Mm -hmm. and really important. Yeah, I mean, I think alternate reality (laughs) is also a great thing. And I mean that in a practical sense where obviously these tests are accountability measures, but if you actually just think, okay, I'm not going to think about this as something that's about accountability or that's about my livelihood, but that's something that we have to do and attain, and I only focus on that. And granted, it's not always easy when there's always talk in the halls about like, oh, I got to do this, but trying to take ownership of the narrative of that and controlling that going forward, I think can be helpful. Amen. All right. Um, Thank you so much for joining us, and make sure to tune in next week when we talk about teacher self-care so that you can actually get through testing. (laughs) (laughs) That one we're going to have wine. (laughs) Bye. Bye. Bye.